Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. From Christianity Today, you're listening to The Bulletin. I'm Mike Cosper, director of CT Media. With me, as always, is Russell Moore, CT's editor-in-chief. And joining us for a conversation today, live and in person, are Nicole Martin, Chief Impact Officer for CT. Hey, Nicole. Hey, good to see you. And John Anwuchekwa, CT's new editor of Leadership Resources. John, welcome to CT. Welcome to The Bulletin. Uh, Glad to be here, man. All right, so today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about Fox News and the settlement with Dominion and the firing earlier this week of Tucker Carlson. We're also going to talk about Joe Biden and his announcement earlier this week that he will be running for re-election. And then we're going to wrap up. We're actually going to talk a little bit about what's going on at CT and what's coming down the pike. So stay with us. All right, so last week, Fox News, they've been in this protracted lawsuit that was about to go to trial against Dominion Voting Systems. Post the 2020 election, all kinds of wild conspiracy theories emerged. They were amplified on Fox News about how Dominion Voting Systems had collaborated with the Biden campaign and all kinds of foreign bad actors, including like dead dictators, um, to swing the election for Joe Biden. Dominion sued. They sued for $1.6 billion. They're an $80 million company, so it was ambitious to sue for $1.6 billion, but then they settled for almost $780 million, a settlement you can see from space. So (laughs) since then, Dan Bongino, one of the people who promoted these conspiracy theories, did not get his contract renewed, and then on Monday, Tucker Carlson was fired, shocking everyone. No one saw that coming. All right, so briefly, I want to set this up with a couple of thoughts. Tucker had the largest primetime cable show with 3.2 million viewers. He came out of conservative media. He was pretty well respected inside conservative media until more recently he started embracing this nationalistic and populist ideas, some racist rhetoric and ideas, you know, amplifying ideas like the white supremacist trope known as the great replacement theory. So we're going to start by just sort of talking about why does this matter? And we're going to do this with two quick quizzes. So I'm going to throw questions at you um, with answers I do not expect you to know. But I'm going to make you answer them. All right. Nicole, 71% of Hindus watch which channel, Nicole? CNN. You are right. All right. Uh, John, 68% of Muslims watch? I think Fox News. CNN. Okay. So I guess Fox News, because it's like, I figured they would want to see what's coming down the pipeline. Right. Like like looking out. (laughs) Yeah, right, right, right. right. We need a lookout. We need two-thirds of y'all to look out. Fair enough. And this is, for for what it's worth, for those who are interested in this, it's called the Cooperative Election Study. It looked at religion and voting. 61,000 people were polled for this. It's a very good study. It's available at harvard.edu. All right. Last one, Russell. This is the layup, especially for you. 
61% of evangelicals watch which It channel? just surprised us that low. I, I, <laughs> I would always, uh, every time I was on cable news, I would let my family know, unless it was on Fox. Right. I was like, there, <laughs> it's already on. Yeah. They'll, yeah. They'll, already, uh, yeah. they'll already see it. Yeah. So that's the case for why it potentially yes. does matter, yes. right? So here's the case for why maybe it doesn't matter. 3.2 to 3.3 million people watch Fox News. Back to you, Nicole. Oh boy. How many million people think the moon landing was fake? If you had to oh, guess. Oh, I mean, less than a million, I would think. The most recent estimate, 50 million people in the United Stop States believe it was fake. It. Oh, um, Lord. We have so much work to do. <laughs> um, Sometimes I fall into that category. No. 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 Sometimes no. no. We haven't been back since. I believe that the earth is round. I believe that the earth is round. Come on, we'll get, Buzz, we'll get Buzz Aldrin in here to, to punch you in the face. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh yeah, yeah, I said sometime. No, All right. We haven't been back since. Right. Just for that, I'm going to skip you. You're fired from the quiz. You lose. Okay. All right. So 3.2 watch Tucker Carlson. How many Americans believe they personally have been abducted by aliens? Oh, <laughs> oh, this oh is my great. Gosh. I don't know, but it's a lot more it's a than, lot. than people would think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Four, yeah. Million. four million. Four million. Four million. More yeah. people million. believe they've been abducted. A lot of room Lord have spaceships. Mercy. Yeah. And which yeah. of those are pastors? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how big is the Venn diagram between Fox News audience exactly. and abducted? I think there's some pastors who feel like they've been abducted by aliens so. in recent years. So. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's 31% want to quit. Wow. Um, okay, so then with that on the table, yeah. a, a show like Tucker Carlson, who does get amplified on mm-hmm. social media, people are familiar with it, and they do follow it from a distance, but I guess the question is, does this actually matter? Is the influence as significant as you know, some would say it is? Or is this more marginal and most people just aren't engaged and, mm-hmm. and talking about it? Let's start with you, Russ. Well, I, I think it's less about what the influence that Tucker Carlson has as much as it is what does Tucker Carlson reflect and then amplify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Stetler used to be with CNN and was talking about the difference between Bill O'Reilly you know, 10 or 15 years ago, and Tucker Carlson. So Bill O'Reilly's catchphrase was, who's on your side? Mm. I'm on your side. Mm. So Tucker's shtick was, nobody's on your side, mm-hmm. we're blanked. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> that, was the, that was the, and that really does encapsulate the moment, yeah. and he was playing to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is, that what Tucker would normalize. Yes. And so there's an entire cast of people right. that would never have had, a, from Russian propagandists, great replacement theory, mm-hmm. alt-right racism that would filter in there. Even many of these, uh, these racial identity, white supremacy racial identity sites lamenting yesterday, this was our only sort of avenue mm-hmm. into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So he could take all of that, put a bow tie on it, and put it on television, and that affects people even if they don't watch yeah. cable news. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Russia Today, yeah. a Russian propaganda oh, yeah. channel, tweeted about the firing and basically said, hey, the water's warm over yeah. here at, at yeah. RT. Yeah. And Cut out the said, middleman. Yeah, and someone, well, yeah, exactly. And someone said that's one of the only news organizations with enough money to hire yeah. Tucker mm. based on all of that. Let me throw it to you, John. I mean, is this, in your community, is this a a personality that's influential 
I imagine not positively, but negatively, it's, is, this, is Fox News a part of the conversation? Is this something that, that people are worried about, worried about what's being said there, or not just off the radar? At all. So at this all. is probably this is probably the first and last conversation that I'll have about Tucker Carlson, right? Yeah. That mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson comes across my timeline like as memes and mm. look at that, can you believe what they say? But it's always passing, right? It's mm. peripheral really to mm-hmm. the concerns that folks have. So mm. it's passing news that mm-hmm. nobody that I really know or spend time with dwells on. So Yeah. Nicole, when you hear that Fox has been exposed for having mm-hmm. all of these hosts and people who are texting each other and yep. sending emails to each other, yep. very clearly knowing that they are lying to their audience. <clears throat> what do you think that says about, less about them and about, about the audience? Does the audience want that? Is that what people are demanding? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think the issue with Tucker Carlson is what Russell said, that he just amplified. He was a microphone to a voice that was crying out to be heard. And his firing, yes, it was significant, but the culture that he established was normalized. And what I mean is, when you look at why he was fired, you know, they'll say, well, he created a toxic environment for women mm-hmm. and how women felt like constantly assaulted, verbally assaulted, constantly uncomfortable in that environment. And the sad part for me is I read that and I said, well, of course. And now we've normalized that when you have extremist views, there's no doubt in my mind you're going to mistreat women. There's no doubt in my mind you're going to look down on people of color. So unfortunately, it goes back to our conversation about Trump. We've normalized that this kind of environment, these types of views will always be negative for women. And it's only the brave ones and the ones who don't have as much to lose or the ones who you know, have had enough that will stand up and say, look, I can't take this anymore. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost with John in the sense that, like, nobody in my community is talking about Tucker Carlson. Yeah. But at the same time, this is a lived reality, and it's not just Fox News. It's not just Tucker Carlson. It's so many pockets of Christian spaces mm-hmm. where people feel marginalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, let's stay there for a second. You've been in ministry, both of you have been in ministry for more than a decade in various places. Mm-hmm pastoring, church planting, working with Christian nonprofits. And in both of your work, you've intersected a lot with evangelicals. Given this kind of heated racist rhetoric stuff that's coming to the surface more and more, how much would you say the environments that you've operated in and and intersected with, how much has that changed? Or how much has this reflected some things that you feel like were already there over the last several years? From a change, I think it's increasingly led people to kind of disconnect or to feel like there's any sense of help or solidarity coming, Mm. right? So it used to be we all can get in the same room and we feel as if like that when stuff really hits the fan, we're all together. Meaning black and white evangelicals. Black and white, yeah. Mm. And then like 2016 comes and Mm. it's like, oh, wait, oh, we're not... Oh, we were together. That's what we thought, but But not from your side. And so from that standpoint, I think there was a set period of time where the emphasis was, all right, how do we bring folks in? How do we create a Mm -hmm. sense of Mm buy-in? And then it came to a point where I know, at least for us, it's like, 
you know, I think we're just going to rock with the people who it seems like they have solidarity with what it is that we're trying to do. So we're not necessarily trying to win anybody over as mm -hmm. much as discover, all right, mm -hmm. who are the people that seem to mm -hmm. get it and let's just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it reminds me of a moment I had in seminary. I'll never forget it. We were in a class on the image of God. The professor was a scientist and Christian. He's talking about the whole theory of humanity and the Garden of Eden being in Africa and the out of Africa theory. And one of my classmates raised her hand and said, you know, I think I know why white people were the primary kind of colonists in the world. It's because when the out of Africa theory happened, this is in seminary, white people were in caves. We had cooler temperatures we had more time to develop our brains no, no. and black people were out in the heat in the sun oh, and so therefore word. you guys had to tend to the animals you didn't have intellectual oh. iron sharpening iron so in the moment I just didn't have the words I honestly I'm not the person in the dozens that like can come back fast I gotta think about it so in the moment I didn't have words I leave I go and talk to one of my professors I'll never forget him Dr. Uh, Peter Paris I go in his office I'm like on the verge of tears you will never believe what they said he says to me sit down he said just because they love Jesus doesn't mean they love you That's and true. as an evangelical in my seminary setting it hit me for the first time that we may all be singing the worship songs, we may all be reading the same text, but just because you love that Jesus doesn't mean that you can turn around and love me. And that only is exemplified in moments with Trump, that's exemplified in moments when you know you have to make a choice between putting your fist up and approving that or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always been there. My mom would say, it's always been there, it's just with or without the hood. I mean, it's a sad, negative perspective. <laughs> oh, no. And I know, I know that somebody listening is gonna be like, oh my God, Gosh, how rude and, and racist is that? But there, I mean, we've just become more subtle. That that kind of subversive, annihilate the other has always been a part of humanity. It's just not as visible now. Mm -hmm. Something that came up yesterday, a story that dropped yesterday, was that there was a confidential source, anonymous source story that said, actually what's going on behind this is not the Dominion lawsuit. It's not the sexual harassment lawsuit, which is coming down the pike. And, and yep horribly misogynistic things were going on behind the scenes there. It's actually that Tucker Carlson went to the Heritage Foundation on Saturday oh. and talked about his faith. And so the real story is that Fox News fired him because he's a Christian. That's, I mean, that, that appeals to a certain kind of uh, Christian martyr sort of uh, complex, I think is ridiculous. Rupert Murdoch doesn't care how many times people use the word faith as long as they're getting ratings and bringing in the revenue. And so I don't think that's the case. I think instead, mm -hmm. you have somebody who all of his text messages about his bosses were now made uh, public by Dominion. I mean, who knows what is all in there? Mm -hmm. And there was a narrative going of, uh, well, Tucker's too big to fail, and the Murdochs are Fox really out of it. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, R R Rupert Murdoch might be 98 years old, but he is still, um, yeah. he, he still knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that nobody would look at Tucker Carlson and think, well, this is somebody who's too intensely devoted to Jesus, yeah. and we're going to take him off of right. the, the air. Yeah, I heard a story the other day that when Roger Ailes was still at the network, he would regularly pull people in, whether it was Glenn Beck or Bill O'Reilly or mm -hmm. these other Nightline hosts, and just casually remind them, there are five people I could replace you with tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, the brand is Fox News. And, yeah. and I even saw one analysis that said, Fox is going to do better because they're going to get somebody who's not so fringy and, and right-wing because there's 
there's not too many people that fringy and right wing that could do the job and do the broadcasting. Well, and the, and what what got them into the entire problem is worrying about not being fringy and right wing mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. because the, the entire reason why they're telling the election lies is because we don't want to lose audience to Newsmax or OANN. And I think they're seeing that didn't really work for yeah. them too well in this case. And they couldn't sell ads. I yeah. mean, they were selling yeah. like my pillow. 1-900 yeah. MyPillow <laughs> yeah. and, and 1-800 yeah. Gold, you know, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. My okay. wife just wants to know if the caption guy's fired. Because <laughs> about a month or two months ago, Tucker sneeringly called me a chest-beating Christian, oh, but the right. caption said a breast-feating uh, Christian, <laughs> which left me best. just really confused for a yeah. long time. I'll take chest-beating Christian. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, so is, if the caption guy is still there, if that's the... That's yeah. the key question in our house. <laughs> well, my one suggestion on that front is that should definitely get into your Twitter bio. Yeah, yeah Russell Moore be. breastfeeding. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so a little more broadly, there have been other shifts at other news organizations recently. The big one, same day, was Don Lemon was fired from CNN. Very controversial. He's been demoted a number of times recently. He made a comment about Nikki Haley that kind of was the big thing that, that hit the news when she announced that she was running for president. He said that she was past her prime for a woman in politics. And I believe she's in her 50s, is that correct? Early 50s. Early 50s. So early 50s is past your prime. The question would be, with these two firings, with what certainly is going to be an ongoing shakeup at Fox News, is nature healing? (laughs) 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 Or is this just just money ratings? It's a down cycle in the news because the elections haven't quite picked up, so now's the time to shuffle the chairs. Well, I mean, you think about the Chris Cuomo firing last year, entirely different set of uh, circumstances, working with his brother, sort of behind the scenes, prepping him, and that was uh, not uh, good journalistic ethics, fired. I don't know that nature's healing, because we've kind of seen these patterns happen before. I mean, Glenn Beck used to be on Fox News, was uh, let go, and I think at the time, a lot of people thought, okay, well, the conspiracy theory white chalkboard is gone now and it just migrated and and moved so it might give us a little bit of a breath for people to come in and say what do we really want to do but uh, I think healing might be too strong of a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, these are figures who represent the views of people. And at the end of the day, these are news shows that are about power and money, period. How much money can we get and how do we wield our power in such a way that gets the right viewers? So if it's not a Don Lemon, we can be assured there will be another somewhat thorny, controversial person that makes you just a little bit uncomfortable, but you can't stop watching because that's what it's all about. And this is why I think we have to be careful because this view of power and money infiltrates itself into the church. And before we know it, you got pastors with the exact same problems as mm-hmm. newscasters. So no, I don't think it's healing. I think it's just like whack-a-mole. It just came mm-hmm. down for a moment, so the mole's going to pop up someplace else. John, let me throw this to you. You're coming in as a new leader of our leadership resources department. And so you think about leadership. You've been a church planter. You've been an entrepreneur. David French, he didn't originate this quote, but he says it often. He, he talks about politicians right now and says that the philosophy is, this is what the people want, and I must go there for I am their leader. Yeah. That's not leadership, right? Right. right? And it seems like we're in this moment where there's an absence of political leadership. And one of the things I hear from pastors in the church oftentimes is that the frustration is that the expectation of the church is that they're amplifying what the church wants. Right. Yeah. So when they try to speak into 
difficult circumstances, divisive political circumstances, divisive things in their cities, the uproar is brutal because that's not what the people want. The people want to be affirmed in their priors. When you think about the voice of the church, the voice of pastors speaking into these communities, what is a pathway for them? How do they, how do they have the resilience to challenge that moment and speak the truth? Yeah. Me and Nicole were just in Atlanta a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. with the Ann campaign. Justin Gibney was there, and he gave an amazing talk that night. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that was interesting was, you know, it's a Thursday night in Atlanta, and you pull together this room, and it's a collection of pastors and people from around the country, right? And it's the type of pastors, too. There were certain folks there where they never make their way to a room that size unless they're on the bill to speak. Yes, well said. And they just came, and they sat down. And it was just interesting to hear Justin give and espouse a view that is not what CNN, right, says Mm -hmm. that. Are uh, people believe that it's something mm-hmm. a little more nuanced mm-hmm. and balanced that walks the tightrope? Mm-hmm. And you just see a room of folks there amening it. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a room of people, it's a room of people and influential pastors and leaders that represent tens of thousands there. And so it's settings like that that just make me sit back and say, mm-hmm. yeah, there really is a void of a voice that actually represents what yeah, yeah people on the ground mm-hmm. yeah, want. Mm-hmm. In a sense, what I think what you're saying is that oftentimes these polemic voices aren't actually representative no, of the ordinary. No, no, no. And maybe that's why there's only 3 million people right. know, watching Fox News and 4 million people thinking that they've been abducted by <laughs> Right, so, right, right. Um, well, let's pray for more, <laughs> more and better leaders and, and yeah. more and better clear thinking um, in public. So, all right, we will be right back. Nicole here. If you're looking for a podcast that features inspiring conversations with theologians, ministers, and pastors, then I recommend adding the acclaimed show No Small Endeavor to your podcast queue. Produced by Great Feeling Studios and PRX, No Small Endeavor explores what it means to live a good life. Each episode, host Lee C. Camp sits down with special guests like the queen of Christian pop, Amy Grant, and pastor and theologian Tish Harrison Warren to ask what it means to live a life worth living. If you're looking for somewhere to start, check out their new episode with Malcolm Gladwell, New York Times bestselling author and host of the wildly popular podcast, Revisionist History. They explore how Malcolm became a stellar storyteller, some of the things he may or may not regret, and so much more. It's absolutely worth a listen. Don't miss out. Follow No Small Endeavor wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier this week on Tuesday, President Joe Biden announced that he is running for re-election. Russell, why don't you set the table for this? What does it mean for us that Joe Biden is running for re-election? Well, first of all, there's nothing surprising about an incumbent president running for re-election. That part is completely unsurprising. What's different this time are a couple factors. And one of them being, of course, behind all of this is age. And not just President Biden's age, but you have the front runners for both parties' nominations who are hovering somewhere around 80. I was 
listening to a couple of ladies who were in a coffee shop next to me talking. They started talking politics, and I thought, oh, no, is this going to be tense? But I can't tell whether they were Democrats or Republicans or who they supported. One of the women just said, I don't care whose hand is on the Bible at Inauguration Day. I just hope there's not a medic alert bracelet on it. And uh, the other one said, uh, amen, because there's a sense of exhaustion. Are we really going to be in 2024 and we have a baby boomer and a silent generation person running against each other again, a rematch of the last election. Mm -hmm. But I think it kind of shows you the way that generational transition just has not happened. And there are Mm -hmm. a lot of reasons why it hasn't. Mm -hmm. But when I look at that, I think about the way that that is mirrored in the church, Mm -hmm. in which you have, there are a lot of really thriving young churches. There are a lot of churches made up of entirely 70-year-olds. There aren't a lot of churches where those generations are actually together, and you're having the handoff that's taking place. So I think it's a sign of a general sort of exhaustion, but then also the stakes. You have the conversations going on in the Biden White House being, you know, you're going to be 86 at the end of a second term, but the question is, okay, well, what's the alternative And the stakes are really, really high right now in Mm -hmm. terms of what's happening in the world. So I think Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be holding their breath as we go into 2024, because with any of these guys, 80 every month is a new adventure for most people. And Mm -hmm. so anything could potentially happen at any time. And that's going to, I think, increase some nervousness. Yeah, I mean, you look right now, you have... Senator Dianne Feinstein is mm-hmm. unable to perform her duties because of shingles. You had a few weeks back, Senator Mitch McConnell had a fall. He missed quite a bit of time in the Senate. They're both in their 80s as well. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm curious, and maybe Nicole, you might be able to speak to this as well. When you think about these institutions, mm-hmm. what is it about leaders? I mean, is it just human nature for leaders to go, I don't want to let go of power. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pass on the next thing. You know, in the scriptures, you've got Elijah and Elisha, like his mandate from God is go hand off the mantle. And after his victory over Baal, he has this burnout Mm -hmm. and then he comes back and it's all about these men that God sent him to. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems like we're in a moment where there's just no appetite for that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember several years ago, um, Barnett did some research on why boomers were not leaving the pulpit. Um, And there were a couple of reasons. One of them was they didn't feel like they found someone like them. So boomers grew up in Sunday school. They knew all of the scriptures. They knew all of the Bible. They look around in the church and they're like, none of these people read the Bible. None of these people know what they're doing. Or they look to the young men, typically men, and they say, you you guys are nothing like me. So I can't afford to hand it off because I don't see someone like me. The other reason was they didn't feel like they could afford to retire. So they're living longer. And in most cases for churches, they may not have very abundant 401k plans. So they felt like I can't afford to let this go. But then there was another part that was like, I might be 70, but I still feel like I'm in my prime. So there was a kind of a desire to build out a legacy, to have more to pass on. And I think the issue isn't, why aren't they stepping down? I think the issue is, what kind of platform are they intending to hand over? So in the case of Biden, I would say, Is there a possibility that he believes he's going to live out the entire term? Maybe. But then there may be a part of him that says, because I know someone like Kamala Harris would never be able to run and win, I will give her my platform. Now, whether we like it or not, I mean, there has to be a sense of, 
at some point I'm going to hand this over and the person he's chosen to hand it over to is likely someone that wouldn't be able to get it on their own. I don't know if we're seeing that in churches. The, the succession, and I'd love to hear you guys' perspectives on this, yeah. but the succession plans that I've seen are mediocre at best. Oh, I mean, there are maybe uh, yeah. one or two that come to mind. One like, or two. Yes. But they're you're you usually know, disastrous. The, exactly. Somebody <laughs> sees their mortality in, yes. the, in the person. But, yes. but I think a lot of that has to do with you can't turn around to somebody who's 30 and say, I'm ready to turn this over yes. to you. This has to start at three yes. and four. That's right. And that means giving responsibility and trusting some responsibility yeah. while you're guiding and you're, and you're shepherding people along. Exactly. I'm struck by, you know, on college campuses right now, the questions are almost all mm-hmm. not about sort of culture war, worldview, yeah. theological. They're almost all, how do I pray? How do I read wow. the Bible? How do I do this? And that you have an entire generation of people who want to be discipled yes. and mentored, and they yes. haven't been. They haven't and been. I think that's the that's question right. is, why not? Why not? Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, to that point, I was in a conversation, and this is not uh, original to me, so I'm going to cite the source. Abe Cho, he's up in New York, works mm-hmm. for City to City. And we sat and talked one day, and he's like, yo, John, the question used to be, when it came to the church, you know, is Christianity true? Hmm. Um, he's like, then it moved on to, um, is Christianity relevant? Mm-hmm. Does it really work out in our day? Mm-hmm. He's like, then there was a time and there has been a time where the world's asking, you know, is Christianity even good mm-hmm. for society, right? Mm-hmm. Does, does it give us any help? He's like, now the prevailing question in our world that people are asking is, no, no, is Christianity even safe? Mm. Mm. Is going to the church a safe place or mm. is it a place where I'm going to experience trauma and hurt and pain? Mm. So the people that come to the church reluctantly in the back of their minds, yeah. yeah, the good, the true, the real, that's one thing, but they're like, is this place safe? And the moment something feels unsafe, I've got to get out and tell mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. And so you've yeah. got a generation of people that are spending their time, I think, trying to answer the first three questions. Mm-hmm. And it's not even on their radar mm-hmm. that, oh, no, the prevailing question that folks have is, is this safe? Mm-hmm. How do I speak to mm-hmm. their trauma? And so what makes, yeah, it, it makes it hard to think of leadership transitions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was something we talked about this several months back during the Asbury revival. Mm-hmm. When you went down and actually talked to the students, you know, what's on social media? What are people talking about? Right. You know, is the theology right? Are they saying the word gospel <laughs> enough? Mm-hmm. You know, is this like, are they praying for the nation? Or are they doing this? No, you know what they're praying for is their mental health, right. their spiritual health. How mm-hmm. do I repent from my sins? How yeah. do I find intimacy mm-hmm. and the presence of God? And there is such a disconnect. And I think when you get to the questions that were being asked and the pressure that was being applied on the revival, it does come back to a lot of power. Are they going to maintain my worldview? Are they supporting, what, are they supporting my ideas of what Christianity and the church right. should look like? Because if they're not, I'm not going to celebrate this. Right. Yeah. And it's like, they don't care. The kids don't care. The kids' <laughs> hearts are broken. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I, we're, doing, we're doing a very poor job of, of addressing that. And I do think, back to where we kind of started this, and, and you pointed to this, Russ, was like, the political moment is functioning very much the same way. We're not spending a lot of time talking about, you know, the cliched, like, kitchen table issues. 
there's so much about power. There's so much conflict around that, that's, that sort of generational kind of politics, territorial kind of politics. And it does seem like the personalities themselves have sort of entrenched the problems and aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, uh, John Favreau used to work for President Obama, had him on his podcast and said, quoted back when President Obama said, you know, I, I'm my goal is to hand over to a new generation. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Favreau said, did you mean the silent generation? Uh, when you said, all right, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. But I think that there is something positive here in addition to the problems. Because I think one of the reasons that we have this failure of leadership transitions, whether in the state or in the church, is that there's that devaluing of youth that we talked about. There's also a devaluing of age. Mm. And so there's a sense whether someone is a United States senator or a pastor or whatever, that you think, if I'm not useful and relevant in the same way I always have been, that means I no longer exist. Mm -hmm. And there has to be a recovery of an understanding of the fact that our 86-year-old people are not just gone from us. Mm -hmm. There is something important here to contribute. Mm -hmm. And until we rework that, we're going to continue to have. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, people people want to be loved. They want to matter. You know, as... uh, Aaron Burr famously says in in Hamilton, they want to be in the room where it happens, you know, and that doesn't go away Mm -hmm. when we get older. So Mm -hmm. do we think, you know, we're we're in this moment right now, it looks like we're heading inevitably towards a repeat of the 2020 election. Trump's way ahead with the Republican primary polls, incumbent president says he wants to run again. At the moment, it seems very unlikely there's going to be a substantive challenge. Obviously, that, those are my cards on the table. Mm-hmm. Do we think that's what's going to happen? Or is there a lane in either direction for someone else to come out and go, this isn't working? Not as things are right now. But I think one of the things we've learned over the past several years is we do not know what is happening next month mm-hmm. uh, or, or, the, or the month right. after that. That's and right. I actually think it's probably... If I were betting, I would more easily bet on Trump winning the Republican nomination than I would Biden being the Democratic nominee. Mm -hmm. Not because I think Biden will lose, but just because the variables are so uh, Mm -hmm. different uh, Mm -hmm. here at this age. And it's just really unpredictable. And the presidency is brutal. The presidency is brutal. I mean, it ages everybody. But I mean, I think the other thing, though, if you just look at the polling data, People are concerned about President Biden's health, and he has relatively low approval ratings, but that doesn't affect how people are going to vote. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, and and we've Mm -hmm. seen this with, for instance, the the midterms in 2018 and in 2022, saw it in the 2020 election. There are people who are saying it doesn't completely matter whether we like this, Mm -hmm. we're not going to do that again. Mm -hmm. So the the question is going to be, but that is so unpredictable because if there's an economic collapse, if there is some sort of a health crisis, Mm -hmm. who knows? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that might be the fact 
I don't know. I mean, I didn't know people, 50 million people didn't believe <laughs> that the landing on the moon happened. But I suspect that there's a factor of health that will play a role in this. So you could argue that under the Trump administration, the vaccine was developed. But you could also argue Biden's administration was the only one that actually brought us to a place of somewhat sanity in terms of COVID. I mean, you can say, if you care about health, if you care about actually believing the science, then you're going to have to vote this way. But it's just interesting to me how we compare the two. They're very similar in age, Trump and Biden. But we see them very differently. I mean, Trump, for whatever it's worth, has done a great job of making everyone believe he's never going to die. Like it's a spray tan. It's a spray tan. Yeah. He will live forever because of the spray tan. And, and the Big Macs. <laughs> and the Big Macs. And he's never, and he's, and he's, you know, when he got COVID, it was just like, Hey, everything's fine. When Biden got COVID, it was like, oh my God, is he okay? So it's just, I don't know. It just goes back to this fear that is fear going to drive this election again? Mm -hmm. I remember colleagues talking about, you know, I don't really like Trump, but I'm just afraid of who the Democratic Party would put in the Supreme Court. So I've got to vote that way. I have mm -hmm. to. Are we now getting back to a place where we're going to have these two polarized extremes? I, I mean, maybe we're already there. We just never yeah. left. Yeah. All right. We will be right back. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m., we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying, and sirens go off, and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, Every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Well, I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But they, all my friends that were here were murdered. Here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. All right, so we are wrapping up a few days here in Chicago. A couple times a year, we get the whole staff together. I think a majority of the staff at this point is not local to Chicago. None of us are actually local mm. to Chicago. <laughs> so this is a this is kind of a rare opportunity to get together and, and talk about what's happening and where things are going. John, you literally joined the team on Tuesday, yeah. correct? Yeah. So <laughs> you're, you're two days into your tenure here. You've been sitting in days' worth of meetings. Yeah. So congrats on that. Yeah. Um, I just want to take a moment and, and talk about, let, let me start with you, Russell. What are you excited about, about what's happening at CT and where things are headed? I'm really excited about the team that God's putting together. I'm also really excited about the moment. I mean, there, mm. there is a need for a convictional, orthodox clarity that is sane yeah. and that is willing to actually build up another generation and to do that through a, a multitude of different platforms. Mm -hmm. So through 
news and information that both tells the truth and shows the glory of the body of Christ through resources equipping people to be able to preach or teach the Bible or carry out student ministry or everything else that God's called us to do. And through the entire gamut, this sort of conversation. I was, I was on a, a secular college campus a few weeks ago, and there was a non-Christian young woman who asked me a question about Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mm. And she said, I listened to the whole thing, and it made me want to be a Christian. Mm. And I said, Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, <laughs> want you to be a Christian? And, <laughs> and, and, and it was because, as she said, it was because it really made me understand that this is important. Mm. And I think that's exactly right. So yeah. whether we're telling the stories about what God is gloriously doing in the church or when we're looking at the really hard, broken parts of the church, it's all because this is monumentally important. Mm-hmm. The, the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And I think yeah. that CT is uh, on the precipice of some really, really good and exciting days ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John, for you, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about you coming in because so many pastors I know are struggling right yeah. now. Yeah. What are you hoping we can do to serve pastors and people in ministry? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's... Um, I read the book at the top of the year called Quit, The Power of Knowing When to Walk Away. Mm-hmm. And so not saying that folks should quit, but there's this one illustration that Annie Duke brings up. And she asks, you know, what's the goal of climbing a mountain? So if I would ask you that, what would you say? What's the goal of climbing a mountain? Surviving. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. To get to the top. Most people say yeah. get to the top. Yeah. And she's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. The goal is getting back down to the bottom right. alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a, there's a well joke that I say often. I stole it from somebody. But, you know, the, uh, the, the sides of Mount Everest are, are covered with the bodies of highly ambitious people. So this is true. And yeah. what you find out is that most people die on the climb down. So there's a time where it's called quitting time. And they're like, yeah. you, may, you may have a little bit of strength left, but you can't use that strength to get to the top. Because mm. when you get to the top, you can't take an Uber down, right? Yeah. You can't just yeah. drop down. Yeah. You've got to climb down. And most people use up all their strength to get to the top. Mm. So what I found, right, I've been a pastor for 16 years, started at 22, left 38 at the end of last year and at the end of 16 years me and my wife sat and talked and we just said hey listen it's time i thought Mm -hmm. i was going to do this for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. but it's time could i have gone a little bit more maybe Mm -hmm. but i would hate to get to the top of the mountain Mm-hmm. And for my widowed wife and my orphan <laughs> daughter to say we had a dad that yeah. made it to the top. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I climbed down and my daughter still loves to go to church. Mm-hmm. My, life, my wife still loves the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And that's a success as well. So I do yeah. think that there are some pastors yes. and leaders and success is perseverance and you get through the end. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I do think that there's certain groups mm-hmm. that are like, oh, no, no, no. This may be like the military for you and Mm -hmm. eight years is enough Mm -hmm. and you need to pivot Mm -hmm. and you need to learn that it's possible and how. And Mm -hmm. I think there's been so many pathways of perseverance that have been celebrated and created Mm -hmm. and the off ramp has seemed like some Mm -hmm. lesser Mm -hmm. route. And I think there needs to be a paved road created um, there. So I'm excited just to help 
pastors and leaders mm-hmm. succeed Navigate however the Lord are. calls them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nicole, we've been introducing you for a number of weeks as mm-hmm. CT's chief impact officer. We've never said what that was. I know. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing here and what you're excited about. Yeah, I'm excited about stewarding our three initiatives. And I'm not just excited about stewarding them. I'm excited about how it's coming to life within CT before we even bring it to the outside. So we've got a global initiative. And even today or yesterday when we were in the room meeting some of our editors who live in Brazil, who live in India, it's just such a gift to see how God is expanding our storytelling capacity for a global initiative. And then we have our Big Tent initiative, which I think comes alive even in our conversations. And how beautiful is it that within the tent of the tenets of our faith, we can have Republican and Democrat, we can have complementarian and egalitarian, but we're still in the tent. Mm -hmm. And in a world where those kinds of conversations are pushed to other tents, CT represents the fact that within the kingdom of God, these views matter, they are important to discuss, And it's the fact that we're in the tent together. And then we've got a Next Generation initiative, which is focused on younger generations. And that's alive and well at CT, not in me personally, but in some of our younger (laughs) colleagues who, um, you know, force us to think about humor differently, to think about engaging in media differently. So I'm very excited about serving those initiatives. That's great. And I can share, you know, we've launched a number of podcasts already this year. We've we've relaunched Sandra McCracken's The Slow Work with a new vision. And we are in pre-production on a new long-form narrative series. Uh, Hopefully more to say about that in the coming months and by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, So super excited about that as well. Well, thank you guys for making time this morning. Thanks for, for joining us. So excited to do this in person. Yeah. Yeah. Every week. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. The Bulletin is a production of Christianity Today. It's executive produced by Eric Petrick. It's produced by Matt Stevens. It's hosted by Russell Moore and Mike Cosper. Azure Phelps is our associate producer. The show is edited and mixed by TJ Hester. Graphic design by Brian Todd. Additional design by Amy Jones. Music by Dan Phelps. Social media by Kate Lucky. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms. CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com/equip.